Let's open up this morning to Hebrews chapter 13 if you have your Bibles along. You should notice that we're moving to a new passage after three weeks in the same passage as we're in our day-to-day difference sermon series. Now we turn to the end of another letter, the letter of Hebrews, and we're in chapter 13 this morning. Hebrews chapter 13, beginning with the first verse. God's Word says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember those who are in prison, as though prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Let us pray. God, thank you for your word. God, grant us ears to hear. Grant us hearts to apply. Grant us feet to live it out each day. God, thank you for your word. Speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Why do you have the window screen in your hand? Why? I remember the night like it was last night. Back in college, I was a resident assistant in the dormitory, which meant you're kind of in charge of watching over the floor, basically making sure the place didn't burn down. But we were having a meeting where all of the RAs were together in one of the room, in the room, and knock on the door, open the door, is the guy from third floor thing. And he's got this window screen in his hand. And it's middle of the winter thing. And I, why, blank, blank, you know, who, whoever he was, thing. And then I'm thinking, this cannot be good. So I tell the other RAs, hey, I'll be back in a little bit. Walk upstairs. I walk upstairs to the third floor. All I see is snowballs coming through the dorm room into the hallway thing. So we get down to the dorm room, walk into the dorm room, and I stick my head out the window. I'm like, hey, like, oh, oh, RA, stop what we're doing. Thing. I turn to the young man, I'm like, why did you take the screen off? Thing. Well, so they could hear me. <laughs> Couldn't they hear you with the screen on? Thing. Why? Thing. Because in his mind, it made sense to take the screen off because it made sense that they're going to hear better if you can stick your hand out the window and yell at them. Because that always helps people hear more, right? When you can add hand gestures. Why? 
Why do we do what we do? Why do you do what you do every day? Why do you say what you say? Why do you make the decisions that you make? Why? Behind every decision that we make, behind everything that we do every day, there is a reason. Even if not thought through in our own minds, there's a reason for why we're doing something. As we continue our day-to-day different sermon series, we need to take a step back and understand the why. Why should we do what we do every day? And if we understand the why, we'll begin to see a day-to-day difference. You change the why, and we're going to begin to change the what happens every single day. But why do we treat people a certain way? Why do we hold marriage in high regard? Why do we believe this about money? Why? It's because we have a source of authority that is unseen. Basically, the why behind all of our decisions should be that we are living by faith, not by sight. Or in other words, we were looking to a source of authority that is unseen rather than looking to that which is seen. If you look in here in Hebrews chapter 13, we're coming to the end of a letter. It's the letter of Hebrews, and as I mentioned earlier in the sermon series, that basically all of the letters of the New Testament, the beginning of the letters are always packed with what we call doctrine or teaching, talking to us about the work Jesus has done, talking to us about what we should believe, telling us about what the basic foundational teachings of Christianity are. And then the letters always usually finish with an exhortation of saying, okay, Now go and do this. Behave this way because you believe this. And and now we're getting to the end of the letter of Hebrews in chapter 13, basically, where we just kind of have exhortation or command after command, basically sentence after sentence. But built into this whole chapter is an underlying thought, the why thought. Why is this being commanded or, or why should we do it? And the underlying thought is that there is a greater authority, that we have one that we look to for our reasoning. We have one that we look to for our decision-making. The book of Hebrews can basically be summarized by saying it's all about the superiority of Jesus. Basically, it's saying that Jesus is supreme above all other people, above all other beings. If you look with me in Hebrews, if you have your Bibles with you, look back with me at chapter 1 if you would a moment. We're just going to take a quick fly overview of Hebrews to understand the overarching theme. So we start in chapter 1 of Hebrews. In verse 3, it kind of makes this pronouncement about Jesus. Hebrews 1, verse 3. It says the following about Jesus. It says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. In other words, he's basically saying, hey, Jesus is fully God. This, This Son of God, this Messiah, Look at the authority he has. The authority he has is he holds the universe. He controls the universe. He is supreme over everything. He's got God's glory. In other words, God's radiance, God's magnificence, God's holiness. He's got all of that because he is the God-man. Fully God, fully man. And then it goes on in the rest of chapter 1 then. It talks about angels a little bit and how we would elevate angels to a place of superiority, but it's saying, no, hold on. You think angels are great. How much greater or how much more superior, how much more supreme is Jesus himself? So it's talking about the supremacy of Christ. And then if you look again, let's move on to chapter 3. If you look at chapter 3 of Hebrews, maybe you've got a little heading there. 
in your Bible that says Jesus greater than Moses? And so now it's talking about the work that Moses did with the law and the different work of Moses. But it's saying that, hey, Moses was just really a foreshadow of the, of the greater Moses, you could say. Jesus himself. So really, Moses' whole purpose is to point people to, to someone greater, to the coming Messiah. Moses is a foreshadow. And then you go on a little bit further, and it goes about Jesus, the great high priest. So in the Old Testament, they had a high priest who would enter into the temple on behalf of God's people. This high priest was one who offered sacrifices for the, pe- for the sin of God's people. And so the high priest, you could say, you should say, is the mediator between God and his people. So the high priest had a powerful position, was a representative of God's people in the presence of God where no one else could go into the holy of holies. But now Hebrews is teaching that, hey, the real high priest has come. That, that the high priest in the Old Testament was just a foreshadow of the magnificent high priest that was to come. That once for all would take all the penalty, all of the punishment, once and for all, for all of creation. And then if you look a little bit further in Hebrews, now turn to Hebrews 9 and 10. So in Hebrews 9 and 10 kind of focuses on the holy of holies place here on, on earth. And it talks about the blood of sacrifices making, us, making a way into the holy of holies. But then again, it points us to what? Jesus, and basically saying Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. The blood of Christ is the greater sacrifice, the eternal sacrifice. And so all of Hebrews is focused on raising up the supremacy of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the one who is expected to come, that Jesus is the king. When you read the Old Testament, we've got the benefit of reading from kind of seeing through the lens of the New Testament. And so you and I should read the Old Testament looking ahead to the Messiah. So when we read about King David, our goal, we're not reading about King David so that we can be like King David. We read about King David because we want to be like the one who King David points to. Jesus is the greater King David. Jesus is the king that comes and rules for all eternity. King David was kind of the, the model king, was the one that, that wrote a lot of the New Te- Old Testament, and, but he was a foreshadow that one day there would be a coming king in his family line that would take over forever. Our goal is not to be like David. Our goal is not to be like Moses, but to be like their God, to be like the one that they pointed to. That David is not supreme, Moses is not supreme, but their king is supreme, Jesus himself. And that's Hebrews basically is all about elevating Jesus, saying he is the one. And so you could say that Hebrews chapter 13 then is kind of giving us how do we live in light of the truth that Jesus is is the supreme king. How should we live if Jesus is our supreme authority? Authority. I don't know about you, but I don't like authority. Most people don't like authority, right? What's our first response usually when someone tells us to do something? Why? Right? Tell me why. Or what's our other response? Why don't you do it? Or... Have you done that before? Because what? If someone's asking something of us, we're only going to respond if what? They're asking the same of themselves. And we kick back against authority all the time. 
We don't like authority. The, the main reason we don't like authority is because of original sin, pride, where we like to control our own thinking, our own actions. But even more than that, we kick back against authority now because we've taken a belief, all are created equal, which is true. All are created in the image of God. Therefore, to maintain that, we want everyone to have equal say in everything. Therefore, there's no longer a voice of authority. And we've seen this in the life of the church. And this is a touchy sermon to preach from Hebrews chapter 13 because you don't want to, oh, he's just positioning for more power thing. Don't want to do that. Want to lay out what the scripture is saying for us as, as a congregation and then how to implement that. But if you look at Hebrews chapter 13, it's got some clear words to speak about authority. Look with me back at Hebrews 13, verse 7. Hebrews 13, verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, if you look with me down to verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. If you read the New Testament, there's a bunch of passages of Scripture that we love to skip over because we can't quite figure out. All of those passages of Scriptures are when they give the list of things that are required of leaders in the church. Read 1 Timothy, 1 Peter, they got all of these lists of things that are required of leaders in the church. And what's our usual response? For all have sinned, therefore how can we expect anyone to, to be in, in that camp? And we just kind of push it, push it aside. Well, there is a reasoning behind God laying out these high demands of leaders. The reason is because God expects people to be under the authority of leaders. Therefore, God wants to put leaders in position that can have authority, that can be trusted with God's care of God's people. That's why the demands are so high, is because God wants to care for his people. God doesn't want to put the care of his people in the hands of anyone and so as a leader, if anyone's a leader, a, a called preacher or a leader in the congregation, it, it's not that they're not a sinner. It's that they're not consistently going in rebellion to God thing. And there's a lot shorter leash with a leader. That if a leader has a falling out, we don't like this, but it's, there's no second chance for leaders thing. You've got to be very careful thing because there's consequences to all of that. That's why the demands are so high throughout the whole New Testament is because God's expecting people to be under authority. But we don't like authority. And the, the illustrations that prove that are a couple of things. First is this. Fifty years ago, if you would have walked into a church and said, hey, I'd like to see the pastor today, the secretary would have said, let me take you down to the pastor's study. Today, if you walk into a church building and say, hey, I'd like to see the pastor, the response is, I'll see if he's in his office. Now, you might, oh, not much of a difference. There's a major difference. It used to be called the pastor's study because the pastor was expected to study God's word and preach God's word. It's changed now. It's called the pastor's office. And the reason is because now the pastor is expected to manage an organization, not preach God's word. And so... You don't call it a study because they're no longer in a position of preaching and, and authority spiritually. They're now in a position of organizational management. 
And you might think, oh, that thing, it's across the board everywhere thing. So now all seminary focuses on what? Practical leadership thing. Now, now denominations accept and ordain people not studying Greek and Hebrew because during the week, pastors don't have time to read Greek and Hebrew. They're too busy managing an organization. And because why? We don't want a spiritual authority in our life. We as a group can decide what's best moving forward spiritually. The whole point of a pastor in ordination and other spiritual leaders in a congregation is that you pick someone out and you say, hey, we're going to set this person apart, which is ordination. We're going to set this person apart to study God's word, to administer the sacraments, and care and oversee God's people. It's not that the person has got extra sainthood or anything. We're just saying to an individual, hey, we recognize that all of us don't have the time to do this, so we need to have someone within our group that's basically set aside to do that. And then that person, or that group, has spiritual authority over others. It's throughout the whole New Testament. There's an assumption that all of us are under the authority of spiritual leaders. Now, I'm not arguing for abusive authority thing because it's all under the submission of God's Word. That's why a church calls a pastor. A pastor doesn't just go into a church because then at any moment, the congregation can say, this pastor is not acting in line with God's Word. Therefore, we need to exchange leaders. We need a leader who is going to be in line with God's Word. And so that's why you have a congregation that calls a pastor and that has that person in authority. And then your leaders, executive committee or elders, you say to these people, you're in authority over us. You're leading us spiritually. You're our guides for our spiritual life. Authority. It's an assumed value in the New Testament, but a value we kick back against. And the reason we kick back against it is... Well, bad leadership, one thing, myself guilty of that thing. Secondly, also, historically, people in positions of spiritual leadership have abused it. Now, this morning, I don't mean to pick on the Catholic Church, but they do play a key role in this whole situation culturally. The Catholic Church is the one entity that remains that's truly set up in a way where it's not democracy, it's not everyone decide, it's, hey, we have a spiritual leader, they're going to interpret the scriptures and they're going to speak the law of the church, basically. And they got it's set up that way. The problem is that historically, the last 30 years, there's been a lot of sexual abuse in the Catholic Church. Therefore, what it does is it diminishes the authority of the priesthood. And therefore, what happens is culturally, everybody begins to be skeptical of leaders because they've seen leaders be abusive in positions of power. And it influences the way all of us think about power, not just the Catholic Church, across the board. Every denomination, every faith has had issues with this. But all of us are called to be under authority. It can't get much clearer here in Hebrews 13. Obey your leaders. Find a leader and follow them. I'm not asking for blind following, but asking that we as a group come underneath the headship of Jesus Christ as revealed in the scriptures under selected leaders that we put in place. Because we need to be under authority. We need to have someone and a group of people that's discerning the will of God. That's why in church leadership is completely different than running for state senate 
or U.S. House. In state Senate, what do you do? Go back and listen to the people in your state what they want, right? And you say, hey, that's why the people in South Dakota go back and push for the farm bill. Who wants the farm bill? The people they're representing. In church leadership, you don't look to your constituents first. You actually look to your leader first, Jesus the Lord. It's a whole different way of thinking. I'm not interested in exactly what everyone wants. I'm interested in what Jesus wants for this body of people. And then you have to find a way to gently and eloquently lead that group of people in how Jesus is leading the body. But all of us are called to fall under leadership. The question for us this morning from verse 7 is this. Who are we imitating? Verse 7, it says, Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Everyone here today is imitating someone. The question is, who are we imitating? Are we finding leaders in our life? Grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles, moms and dads. Are we finding leaders that we can imitate? People that have laid down an example for us that we can follow in their footsteps. We need to find those people. We need to elevate those people. And then we need to follow after them. And then we need to be those people ourselves. This morning, if you're called to a role of leadership, you need to be prepared to have other people follow your example. Therefore, examining your example that you've got one for people to follow. Day-to-day difference. The day-to-day difference comes when we understand the source of authority for why we do what we do. The source of authority is not in the seen, but rather in the unseen. Look with me at verse 14. Verse 14, it says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. So what basically the author is saying here is, hey, we're looking ahead to an unseen future, an unseen kingdom that is coming. That's where our focus is. So the here and now isn't going to dictate every decision. The coming is going to dictate every decision. Because they're not looking at the seen, but they're looking at the unseen. Which is hard for us, because all of us want to do what? We want to touch, we want to hear, and we want to see everything. We want to get real comfortable before moving ahead. But basically he's saying, hey, our source of authority is in the unseen kingdom that's coming, the eternal kingdom. And that's our source of authority. That's what's dictating, that's what's directing everything that we do. My aunt and uncle, who are almost 60 now, think, um, they've been, uh, have a great life, you could say. They had three children. Um, they're all about my age in their early 30s or, or younger 20s. And uh, he was a chemical engineer for many years, owned a small business, still does. And uh, when they were about 55, they started taking some mission trips to the Philippines to different orphanage there. So they'd been involved there a little bit, and then one Sunday they were sitting in worship, and the church had some sort of presentation, and the pictures of two girls from the orphanage came on the screen. My uncle said he felt something, heard something, that he's supposed to adopt those two kids. But he didn't really act on it. He thought, oh, man, thing. Went home. He's kind of trying to play with it a little bit, just kind of lay it out in front of his wife and see if she thinks it ends up being they both heard the same thing or felt the same thing at the same time. What do they do? Adopt two kids. Not a big deal, right? Yet kind of a big deal, over 55, and adopting two kids. I mean, 55 is young, but in our culture, most people don't consider that young. 
So if you're over 55, I just called you young. Remember that thing. So they adopt two children, but they go to the orphanage. Comes to be the orphanage, there's a bunch of siblings. Over 10 siblings, think, involved. What do you do? Think, think. You adopt them all, right? I mean, that makes sense, right? Think, I mean, logically, and I mean, in, when you think it through, and, and culturally speaking, I mean, you're only four years from retirement. I mean, you're, everything's set up, ready to go. They adopted all of them. So yesterday, we were up with the family. What do they pull up in? 15-passenger van thing. Okay, that decision makes no sense at all thing. There is not a financial planner in this country that would have recommended that thing. You might have been hard-pressed to find a pastor in this country that would have recommended that. The decision makes no sense logically. The decision makes no sense culturally. They were just about to enter into retirement at the age of 64, hunt and farm on a beautiful little acreage north of the cities, enjoy their grandchildren. Decision made no sense when you looked at it logically, when you looked at it visually, but it didn't need to make sense because the orders came from a higher supreme authority, Jesus himself. And when the orders are given, the seen no longer matters because the unseen has spoken. This morning, you may not be asked to adopt 10 children. Thing You might. You don't just cross that off the list. But you might be asked to do other things. You might be asked to take a step of faith and talk to your neighbor who you fought with over 10 times and have just ignored the last couple of years. You might be asked to take a stand in the boardroom at work and it might cost you your job. You might be asked to raise your kids a little different way. That's going to be tough culturally. But it makes sense because the unseen has spoken. It's because we fall under a different authority. The authority is Jesus Christ. Who is this Jesus Christ? This Jesus Christ is the supreme God who came in the form of a human being and became our priest, high priest. Who is this Jesus Christ? This Jesus Christ is the one who came and took your punishment and my punishment and lived the perfect life so that we could enter into the holy of holies and live in this unseen coming kingdom that lasts for eternity. He is our source of authority. And if we want to experience a day-to-day -day difference, the day-to-day -day difference begins when we begin to look to a different authority for our decisions. When we begin to look to a different authority for the way we think about certain things. The next couple of weeks, we're going to dig deeper into Hebrews chapter 13 here and the end of those verses and dig into some more of the practical things. But all of these practical things fall apart when you push aside the authority of Jesus. It all begins with understanding that the authority rests with Jesus. The way I want to think about money is the way Jesus thinks about money. And I'll forewarn you now, thing attendance is probably going to drop in the next couple of Sundays, thing. Because Jesus' thinking about money does not make sense. But it makes sense because it's coming from an eternal kingdom. It makes sense when you look at it from his perspective. When you no longer focus on the seen, but you focus on the unseen.
How many of you have a favorite place to eat at? Everybody, wow, nobody's listening. Thing. You know, almost all of my favorite places to eat, you drive up to and you'd say, yay, we're going to go here? Thing. You'd think from the outside, you'd go, eesh, not looking good. But when you get inside, oh, food is amazing. Grease does amazing things. Thing. <laughs> The best popcorn that I know of comes from the popcorn machine that I don't think has ever been cleaned. <laughs> if you look at it from the outward, the outward appearance says what? Avoid at all cost. When you and I get caught up in the world of outward appearances, that's when we begin to make mistakes. When we begin to make judgments about people based upon outward appearance, that's when we begin to neglect those who were created in the image of God. When we begin to make decisions that only make sense in an outward appearance to the world around us, that's when we begin to make decisions that are not faithful to Jesus Christ. It's not about outward appearance, but it's about the unseen King, Jesus the Christ, who was seen at one time, the first Christmas, when he came and lived the perfect life. But now Jesus is unseen, revealed to us through his word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Why do we do what we do? Because the one who is unseen commands us to do what we do. Let it be said of us that we were not focused on the outward, but rather we were focused on the unseen coming kingdom. Let us pray. Almighty God, we struggle, I, I struggle, Lord, with logic and I struggle with wanting to make good business decisions. Lord, I struggle with wanting to um, build a church that is culturally popular, build a church that is attractive and grows. God, we struggle with making decisions that are, want people to be peaceful about. God, we struggle, I struggle with wanting everyone to like the decisions that we make. God, this morning quench all of that in my heart, in the heart of everyone in this room. God, move us beyond the trivial. Move us beyond the outward appearance and turn our hearts and our minds toward the unseen. God, forgive us when we have judged someone based upon their outward appearance. God, forgive us when we've neglected someone because they are a prisoner or a stranger. God, move upon us to care for the unseen. And Lord, this morning, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would empower and enable us to walk by faith, not by sight. This morning, O oh Lord, enable us to submit to you as revealed in your word. We offer ourselves to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.